video okay? Uh, I don't see your video. I just see your um, oh, your Tantalus Depths. Uh, well, dang. Hang on. Let me see if I can fix graphic. that because I have a webcam. Uh, you probably have to turn it on on the top. Aha! There we go. <laughs> myself and everyone else. There we go. There we go. All right. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Geek Embassy. This is a spontaneous live hangout with an author from uh, Inkshares, uh, Evan Graham. Say hi. <laughs> uh, Evan and I have become friends uh, through uh, the book campaign that I'm running on Inkshares right now for my book called Mothering the Game. Uh, he's very close, very, very close to oh, completing gosh. the full publishing of his book, Tantalus Steps. Yay! <laughs> I'm so excited about this. Uh, his campaign ends on August 16th, so we've got uh, 13 days, 12 13 days? 13 days. 13 days. 13. That's a good, powerful number, 13, right? Yeah. Tantalus 13. <laughs> <laughs> my lucky number. I'll get there today. Yes, it could happen. Um, all right, so you have 87 books left. You need pre-ordered, 87 yes. pre-orders. All right, so let's, let's lay, hoping uh, you all, my, my loving and supportive community, will reach out and help support Evan as well. So uh, why don't we start with, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself as a writer, author, human being? Well, I have been writing in one form or another since I was a really tiny little kid. Like, used to be like, and it was always science fiction and fantasy. Like, from the very beginning, there was never any deliberation on that notion. Like, it started out probably the earliest I can remember is me and my dad. We would write little Star Wars comic books together. Like, oh, he would awesome. write them, and I would illustrate them, and like. Eventually, I would write and illustrate them, and then eventually, I evolved from that into into like writing, like short, little fanfic type stories with like Star Wars and Lord of the Rings and stuff like that. And eventually, like in my high school type age range, my dad finally told me, you know, writing Star Wars comic books and stuff like that is good, but why don't you come up with something new? Something your own. Something on your own, right? Yeah. So then I evolved into sort of writing my own completely original stories, and was still doing the other stuff on the side. But I was also coming up with my own original concepts, and most of them at that point were very derivative and basically just Star Wars with a new skin on it. But <laughs> I eventually sort of spanned out during my late high school, early college age, and was starting to really write more creatively, more effectively, and, and to have concepts that were more worth fleshing out and to flesh them out more effectively. And then Tantalus Depths arose from a specific creative writing class I had in college where my prompt was, it was originally only supposed to be a short story, but the prompt was to write a story from the perspective of someone unlike myself. Mm. And that's why I chose to write it about a woman right. from a woman's perspective. Right. So I did that, and then through the course of the class, it evolved and it, it expanded and it became less short story material and more full length novel material. And over the course of two separate classes, because I ended up like 
having a big old chunk of time in the middle where I should have been writing and I wasn't. Mm -hmm. But I eventually finished it for a different class and it became what it is now. Cool. And how long, so how long ago, how long ago did you finish it then? I finished it, it was actually my senior project for my writing minor. So I finished it the year I graduated, which I think was 2014. I had a very long, complicated college career, so it's hard to remember exactly. <laughs> oh, you're talking to someone who has multiple years of experience in higher education. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, and I basically had just been sitting on it ever since right. then. Like, I right. wanted to publish it right. for a while, but I just kind of didn't. And, like, every once in a while I would sort of, like, peek into what it would take to get published and get intimidated and hide. Because, like, I went to, like, this one literary agency, and I was, like, looking into, like, submitting something, and then I saw this little little line saying, basically, just so you know, we get 500 submissions a week, and we probably won't notice you. So I saw that, and I kind of cried, and then, like, yeah. <laughs> gave up before I even tried sending a query letter. Yeah, so, I've, I've gone through the same thing about sort of traditional publishing, where... It, it seems like it should be a large community. It's really not. <laughs> Traditional publishing is very tight. And it's getting more so. It's getting like, worse. It's yeah. harder for new authors to start mm -hmm. in that in that industry in general. Yeah. It's one of the things I really like about Inkshares, the way it kind of, like, if you're willing to put the work into it, you'll get published no matter who you are or what you've done mm -hmm. before. Yeah, I exactly. That's, really a, that's the thing I love about it, too. And I love how innovative a lot of the ideas are and how out of the box and how out of the box ideas can be. And if you can get enough people who are like, yeah, I really do want to read this. Right. You can get it on the shelf. And that's a, that's super powerful. And as far as I'm concerned, I mean, with, you know, we've had Kickstarter. Kickstarter isn't necessarily for books. Um, I love that Inkshares is just books. It's just focused mm -hmm. on one thing. And I think that that makes, that makes it a stronger community. Oh yeah, and I think it's it's effective too because like the the entire purpose of a literary agent is to guess what people want to read right. and kind of like watch the trends and see what's becoming popular and what's not becoming popular and and like guess will this book be successful? Will people want to read it? And the way Inkshares does it, they completely nullify that middleman role of the literary agent. I mean, not completely. There's still some quality control that goes on, but the it's the idea that it's the readers themselves telling you what they want to see. Right. They I already think, know they have an audience. Like, they know they have an audience because they right. have people who've already said, yes, I want to read this to the point where I'm, they've gone and bought it, you know, and they pre-ordered it. Um, so I, I think you're right. It does take the guesswork out. It also allows you, um, I have a friend who is an established author who's like written and published three traditional books. And I, you know, messaged him. I'm like, okay, so here's this crazy thing I'm doing. <laughs> and he went out and checked it out. And he's like, this is kind of cool. And I was like, it is really, you know, different um, in terms of its approach. But years ago, he told me when I started looking at doing the podcast after I finished my dissertation, he was saying I could, you know, theoretically turn my dissertation into a popular book if I wanted to. It was going to take a lot of editing and I'd have to focus on different topics than I did for a dissertation because truly nobody really wants to read a dissertation. <laughs> yeah, they're kind of meant to not be read. <laughs> exactly. They're meant for a very specific audience and a very specific purpose. And so it's like that you can rework it. 
And he's like, you already know you have an audience because you've been building this following. And a publisher is going to look at that and is going to be really glad to know you already have people who are interested in it. And Inkshare just kind of took that idea and ran with it. And again, it's something that's not really like anything else that's out there. Like it's, it doesn't fit into any particular genre. It doesn't have like a necessarily an established like way of this is how this kind of book is. Right. Like, kind of forging new territory. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's very, it's very fun. So tell us about, tell us about Tantalus Steps. Tell us about your, your female protagonist and your character and your story. And I have some other questions I'm going to ask too. Oh my gosh, where do I start? Like Tantalus <laughs> Steps is it's it's like it's my kind of love letter to a very specific kind of science fiction there's like there's so many kinds of science fiction and i like all of them but like this is a specific kind of the, the main driving influence of it is um 2001 a space odyssey and that's pretty obvious from the get-go but also i have a, a personal favorite that's a that's not well as well known but it's uh the forbidden planet which is one of my favorite science fiction movies of all time. And they all kind of had this unifying thread of like this thrill of discovery of like exploring the unknown and like branching out into the universe like most good science fiction has, but also with this undertone of dread where like <laughs> maybe we've Danger. bitten off more than we can chew. Maybe mm -hmm. we're exploring too quickly. Maybe we're right. not ready for the stuff we're gonna find. Right they're not like that's the whole thing is like there's the awe of exploration but there's also that danger that you might find something you can't handle right but there's there's really so much that. out there that's unknown those big questions and it's like my the story takes place like in in, in my universe it's very early on in human exploration like we've discovered fast and light space travel, but we can't have it and artificial gravity at the same time. And we have like, we've begun colonizing other worlds, but we're still like, it takes months to get from one to another. So like, it's not kind of like the, the Star Trek kind of thing where you have like all these civilizations that have like created like this galaxy spanning network of like a society and you can just jump there back and forth in a day like it's still very early on in interstellar space travel so there is still so much unknown out there and right. it's it's almost kind of like a gold rush kind of a thing where like the the society is like actively trying to claim new territories all over the place and it, this is basically like a claim staking mission to Tantalus 13, so they're they're not even expecting to find anything there. They're just going there to get there. So they're even less prepared to handle what they're experiencing there. Well, I imagine, and I will fully admit, I am not really a fiction writer. <laughs> I don't. I love fiction. I love to read fiction, but I've never, I never had that capacity to to create things that don't exist, which is why. Oddly enough, I think I only discovered through the contest that I was a memoir writer. It makes it makes so much more sense to me suddenly. Um, but when I went to enter the contest, I'm like, oh, I can enter this as a memoir. Then I can actually write it. <laughs> so I, but I imagine like taking taking your universe and stepping into that place where space travel is established but not perfected. 
gives you a lot of room as an author to, mm -hmm. to create. There's a lot of conflict. There's a lot of mistakes that can happen. There's a lot of challenges you can face. Um, is that is that true? Is that kind of the case for this? Oh yeah, like I, I very intentionally created a, an unperfected universe. Like I had this idea of, because I eventually want to have sequels to Tantalus Steps and I have the in mind that it also is like an anthology setting. I want to tell mm. other stories that take place in the same universe but have totally different focuses, totally different groups of characters, characters yeah. take place in a different time frame. But my idea is this universe as a rule, the one thing that will bind all these stories together is the fact that it's a universe that is inherently hostile to life. Mm. This is a place where like humanity, like at its worst, is still so much better off than the rest of the universe. And we don't know that because we haven't explored yet. Mm -hmm. And we have, well, like, we'll discover that way after it's too late. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> There's this kind of pessimistic outlook that I kind of want to, to explore to infiltrate the stories on one level or another where like humanity has been surviving as long as it has out of sheer luck. Uh -huh. And I, I want that to kind of permeate all the stories that take place in the setting. But also on the other hand, I want to kind of counterbalance that pessimism with optimism in the same sense where like in this story, all kinds of stuff happens that's bad. Like right. the whole, there's, disaster that happens in the story. I'm not spoiling anything. You know it's going to happen from the beginning that not everything's going to work out for everybody. Right. But at the same time, like when everything is falling apart and there's just an enormous disaster and, and there's danger everywhere, you still have like your strong female character, Mary Ketch, who is overcoming everything. And that's not by luck. Like she is so unlucky. Like everyone in the story is unlucky. She is just as unlucky as everyone else, but she's determined and she's smart. She's resourceful. She's skillful. And through all that, she manages to build herself up and to escape from this disastrous situation, mm -hmm. which I, I want to be able to show that just as often as I'm showing everything else. Like this idea that humanity as a whole is not safe. Like there's danger everywhere. And like, at any point in time, there could be an enormous catastrophe, but we're not going to give up, and we're still going to get through it. I think that's that's an interesting way to take it. It's it's reminding me a little bit if I think about um, one of my favorite series is um, uh, Firefly. Everybody loves Joss, right? <laughs> but one of the things that's the most intriguing about Firefly is the fact that there aren't other humans like in star trek they run into lots of similar life forms like they may be green and they may have you know tentacles or whatever but they're still similar enough in a life form um but there's nobody else in the universe in firefly it's just humans humans who some who act good and some who don't and lots of challenges and difficulties and all kinds of stuff that they kind of go through um and it's kind of reminding me a little bit a little bit of that what you're what you're talking about in terms of um, humanity perseveres, but in a completely different way than you might have expected. Mm. And, and I love stories like yeah. that. <laughs> it's definitely in there too, because like at, at this point in the storyline, like, I mean, spoilers, they, they end up on a planet that's not a real planet that was built by an ancient alien civilization. They discover that in the first couple chapters. But up until this point, they've not encountered any trace of intelligent life in the mm -hmm. universe. Like, 
humanity, they have discovered life. They've discovered like tiny little microbes here and there. They've discovered like primitive plant life and stuff like that, but nothing that is like the life we have on earth. And that fact that, they, that they've explored so far and they've found nothing is part of the way I build that dread of like, why is it so hard to find other life in this universe? What happened to it? Right, exactly. Did it exist and it's gone? Did it, you know, did it extinguish itself in some way? I mean, there, there's so many different questions you can ask. Exactly. Yeah, well, that makes for really fascinating world building. As I imagine, is uh, is part of your responsibility <laughs> as the author in this. <laughs> and I actually don't get into all that much of that stuff in the story. I feel like the story should be pretty well self-contained. But it's mm -hmm. like here, here and there, there's trace references to things like that. But most of this backstory, like world-building stuff I've done, it's, it's going to kind of end up metaphorically on the cutting room floor. It's stuff I know about the universe and it's stuff that right. will be consistent as the universe grows. It'll grow along these lines and you'll see more and more of it as other stories are told. But like for the most part, I wanted Tantalus Steps to be self-contained and easy to, to jump into. And then to, when, you, when you're done with it, you feel like you've seen an entire story. Kind of like um, the way The Hobbit operates in The Lord <laughs> of the Rings. Yeah. <laughs> as that one piece that started all of this other stuff but still can stand on its own. You can just read The Hobbit and you won't feel like you missed anything. Right, exactly, exactly. You can just kind of be there. You like that I'm comparing you to um, to Tolkien? <laughs> I, I am so okay with that. <laughs> I, am, I figured you would be. <laughs> and Joss Whedon. I'm, I'm okay giving you some like really big ones that we can go to here. Uh, so you have a female protagonist, Mary. Yes. And um, what are some of the other characters uh, in your book that um, that stand out? Well, I I intentionally kept it to be a very small cast of characters, like partly because like I'm I'm dealing with themes of isolation and um, of just the fact that humanity is so small in this place that is so large. So I wanted to keep it a very small cast. And the story is told like entirely from Mary's perspective. It's it's still not first person narrative, but it's all told from her perspective. So you get inside her head a lot more than you get inside anybody else's, but there's several other characters there. Um, one particular character that I think stands out is the doctor, Ramanathan Bacall. He's kind of a loner in this story. He's like the one member of the crew that Mary really got along with because most of the rest of the crew annoys her for one reason or another because, the, like, again, I'm building uh, themes of isolation, so I want right. to make sure that her character always kind of doesn't quite mesh with other characters in the crew. But part of the reason why she does get along with Ramanathan is because he's developed this, over the course of their trip, he's developed this intense depression. Like, he's, and, and I, I want that to kind of, be a part of the the dread that develops in the storyline. Their doctor has something wrong with him, and like it's happened since they left. Like right. he was fine when they started the trip, and by the end of their six month journey to Tantalus Thirteen, he's barely functional. He's so manically depressed, and mm. there's nothing anyone could have done about it but him. Right, so. and that's that's a dangerous thing. I mean, to be exploring a new world and have a doctor that's gone crazy. Yeah. 
And yeah. it, it, he's not he's not crazy, but he's he's not a hundred percent all there. Like he's he's very withdrawn into himself. He's kind of lost his purpose in the story. And I wanted that to kind of be the thing that Mary relates to. Because Mary's got a lot of personal issues she's dealing with on the trip as well. She's she's going on this trip in order to kind of get away from her problems for a while. So she kind of relates with Ramanathan on, on a certain level. Ramanathan doesn't really get along with anybody else in the crew. And kind of for the same reason, she doesn't really bond with anybody else in the crew. But they they kind of have a sort of understanding. It's pretty one-sided in the sense that Mary um, goes out of her way to be nice to, to Ramanath and, and tries to be um, engaged with him and he's still very withdrawn. But you do kind of get the idea there's a mutual respect at the very least between the two of them. Interesting. Uh, that's, I, I love that, that approach in terms of characters. Um, because I think we have this idea because so much of science fiction sets up these idealistic communities where people like, and I'm thinking specifically of Star Trek because I think Star Trek is the most guilty of this, at least the newer um, next generation and beyond, even even the original series. Pretty much all of them. Yeah, where everybody, where everybody pretty much respects what everybody else does, their role on the ship and their responsibility. I mean, even if you had, you know, the tension between Kirk and um, McCoy or, you know, whatever, and, you know, the, they were always so, so small. And there was always such that feeling of like hope that came out of those, those series. I really like the idea of kind of flipping that on its head and making it more about isolation because I think true space travel or space exploration is going to be much more isolating um, than the kind of these, this idealized version of Star Trek, which is for a lot of people, their main entry into science fiction. Especially considering, like, in this story, the, the trip does take six months. Like, right. I did a lot of research on how actual astronauts interact with each other and stuff like that. But at the same time, this is uh, science has developed to a point where space travel is not as big of a deal. So, like, right now we have astronauts that train for years and years and years, mm -hmm. and they're like the best of the best at what they do. But I figure once space travels become more commonplace, it'll kind of relax to the point where they're, they're less astronauts and they're not even like, like flight attendants or, or like aircraft pilots. It's kind of gotten to the point where they're almost more like truckers. Right. <laughs> you don't have to have as much training to do the job. Like Mary is the pilot on the ship and she's very well trained and she's very skillful, but everybody else during the trip itself is just a passenger. Right. Like their job happens when they get to Tantalus 13, just like her job kind of ends when they get there. Right. So for them, it's essentially six months of, you know, hanging out and party time and trying to kill yeah. time until they get to where they need to be to. Which when you have something like that, personalities are going to crash. People sure. are going to mm -hmm. develop all kinds of issues with each other and with the mission as a whole. And like, they'll be professional because they are professionals, but you're not going to have necessarily the same level of camaraderie you might have with an astronaut group or something of that nature. And ultimately, most of the people are there for a paycheck when it comes down to right. it. So, well, and they, they'll have different um, talents and skills as well, and they won't have trained together. I mean, there's a lot of power that comes from, you know, a group of people who train for the same outcome. 
mm-hmm. as opposed to a bunch of people who you kind of throw together to get to a certain place to have an outcome. That's a completely different thing. And that's how you kind of have like clicks form. Like you have mm-hmm. Yancey and Rook who are their mining specialists. They have a pre-existing relationship. So they're, they're always together. You always see the two of them together. Mm-hmm. They talk all the time. They goof around with each other. They're friends, they're buddies. They get along pretty well with everybody else just because they're both act- extroverted and, and everything. But there's a couple of members of the crew that don't really care for them. Like Mary finds them to be at least somewhat obnoxious. Commander Gorister finds them to be insufferable because he's like he's a ruthless rule monger. He's like uh-huh. he's their boss, and he's the he's very heavily based on bosses I've had who are like follow the rules to the letter. Like, <laughs> one of them. And like so obviously he finds them insufferable. Right. They find him insufferable too. And like you also have uh, Becky and Hertz who are their scientific specialists. She's the geologist. He's the computer expert. And they kind of click together as well because they're both intellectuals, they're both academics, and they, they kind of have more in common with each other. So you tend to see Becky and Hertz together, Yancey and Rook together, everybody else kind of off doing their own thing. So it, it kind of, I tried to figure out how like relationships would evolve naturally in right. an environment like this between people like this. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's, that's awesome. awesome. One of the what things I loved about your campaign has been the visual shape released. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize until our conversation just now um, when you said that you were an artist. So you're creating all of that graphics. Yeah. That's, that's fantastic. I've found that specifically for campaigns like this, like if you can have an image of some kind in your posts, you should. Because mm-hmm. people will scroll right down past text. Like it doesn't matter how short it is or how long it is, people won't pay attention to it. But if there's a picture, even if it's a picture of text, <laughs> they'll still be more likely to interact with it just because it's a picture and it's visually stimulating and it stands out. Mm-hmm. So I, yeah, I actually originally, one of the reasons why it took me so long to get through college, it took me nine years to get a four-year degree <laughs> because I changed my major so many times, but one of the times I had been a graphic design major. So I, I know some little ins and outs of how to use Photoshop and Illustrator and stuff like that. And I've tried to make my own material. Like I made my own cover art. I made my own poster. Well, no, my sister actually made my poster. She's a graphic designer too. But um, I've been trying to crank out consistently visually stimulating media along with like, I've been emphasizing the world building aspect of it because I think for a story like this, that's important. Like to get the audience you want, you want to be able to hook them in the way they'll be hooked. So for me, if I'm primarily appealing to science fiction fans, I should be showing them that my book has stuff they like. So I've been showing all the different little little tidbits, little tiny world building lore things and, and inserting art that I've created from like, public domain visual assets that I've photoshopped together into ways that are interesting and as much of that as I possibly can. Well, having followed countless campaigns now <laughs> in shares um, and looked at, you know, one of the reasons why I did that is to support the community, but another is to look at the different ways people, you know, market their books. Mm-hmm. And yours is outstanding because of those visuals. I, I haven't seen anybody else take the detail and de- time and depth and treatment of their characters and their story and their worlds that that you've done for it. And I think that that really does put um, 
put your campaign in a different um, different bracket from <laughs> some of us who are definitely a little more reliant on um, just words and text to try to get our, our campaign across. Well, um, I think one of the effective ways that people can campaign like this is people should always like play to their own strengths. Exactly. Like, whatever yeah. it is they're good at doing, they should do. Like mm -hmm. I happen to be reasonably competent at using Photoshop and stuff like that, so I've been using it. If I was like, I have a, a good friend who is really good at making videos and stuff like that, and he put together my trailer for me. But if I was personally really good at that, I'd be doing that. I'd be doing all right. kinds of video stuff. Right. If I was really good at, I don't know, like making like cartoon type art, I would be doing stuff like that. Like de depending on what your personal skill set is, you should always work with that. And I think right. the way InkShares does their thing, they give you so much freedom to decide how to run your own campaign. I think there's no one specific right way to do it. It should just be however, whatever your strengths are, roll with them. Yeah, I think that's really important. And I think that's something that if anybody who you know listens to this is thinking about doing something like a crowdfunding campaign or is thinking about running a book on InkShares, you should think about that. What are your strengths just beyond the book itself to, to help you communicate the idea and the concept and uh, what, you're, what you're writing about because it can get, you can get kind of lost in that heavy text, heavy repetition. Um, you know, I've, I've been on a few podcasts and I found myself having to remember which podcast I had said what on. Because <laughs> you start feeling like, didn't I just say that? And then you remember that, oh, right, this I've is a different show like that too like I, I'm also I personally feel like I don't want to tell the same thing every time because exactly. I feel like everyone deserves to hear something new and special but I also can't remember what I've said to everybody and like yeah. you always have to cover the basics right you also and, don't want to yeah. give too much away so right and you have to know you have a different audience each time so you yeah. have to make sure you get the basics covered but you also want to be yeah I've been trying to read um, different excerpts on each show I've been on so that each each one had its unique piece of the book that wasn't necessarily on the InkShares page so that they could kind of, you know, say, okay, here's our piece of, of this, you know, bigger, bigger thing. We have this piece of it. So just, you know, work with what you got. Yeah. <laughs> it's especially hard to, to even just to advertise for this book because it's so heavily built on mystery and discovery and stuff like that. So I try not to tell people too much about what happens in it. Right. But you have to tell them something because right. otherwise they're not going to be even their interest isn't even going to be peaked. Right. You you have to you have to have enough of a teaser to get to get people interested in it, but not give too much of it away. Um, which I think I think you've done a really good job of that. We we discussed that. I think we had a couple of email exchanges when I was asking about like how much how much should you reveal on InkShares of your book? And you have to balance between giving enough to get people's interests peaked in your writing, in your book, but not give it away so that they feel like they don't have to buy the book to see the rest of it. And there's, you know, there's kind of a little fine line to kind of dance there with, okay, here's an, just enough for you to see, you know, here's a little peek and then shut the door real quick. <laughs> it, it also, I think, helps to identify which specific parts of your story are good selling points yeah. and then to hold other stuff in reserve because like mm -hmm. one of the things I've been actively kind of playing up in my advertising is the conflict with Scarab with Scarab being this antagonist and like people get the idea of evil robot or like unstable robot or rogue right. robot or whatever you want to call it they get that idea they get how it can be scary they get how it can be interesting so I'm rolling with that but the conflict with Scarab 
is only one conflict. Scarab is an antagonist. It's not necessarily the greatest antagonist in the story, but there's other information that I haven't revealed at all that I'm holding in reserve because like people will be interested by Scarab. They'll be blown away by this other stuff. Right, yeah, exactly. And one so of the things I loved about your campaign... The oh, what were you saying? I, if I were to just reveal at the front this this the greater underlying things, it wouldn't have the impact it would have if people came across it organically. Right, when you come through, come to it during the story itself. Yeah, one of the things I loved was that you had chapter three up as your first chapter. Mm -hmm. And I remember looking at that and it's really interesting. Now I'm more curious about what's happening in chapter one and two. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Jumping to chapter three is like your introduction to the world. Yeah. I mean, I know. since the first couple of chapters are mostly like expositionary and not that much stuff happens because it's a slow build, mm -hmm. I wanted to pick one where it had the best balance between kind of building this intrigue and establishing all this stuff that's going to be important in the rest of the story. So going with chapter one wouldn't really do that. Going with chapter three is better for that. Very cool. Well, thank you for, for all this. If anybody's listening who, like I said, is interested in InkShares, I think uh, we've given you a lot of insight into crowdfunding for, uh, for InkShares. Uh, as a last question, Evan, um, what is your favorite science fiction franchise? You can't just ask me that. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to be like, oh, God, oh, like, no. really? <laughs> See, the problem is, like, the answer I could give most easily would be Star Wars, because Star Wars... History of it and, and engagement with it, yeah. It's not even fair, though, because Star Wars is, like, it's, it's not so much my favorite science fiction story as it is a part of my actual identity. So, mm -hmm. like, it's, it's kind of on a different entire plane of existence than any of the other science fiction stuff that I like. So I don't, I don't even necessarily consider it to be science fiction or even fiction. I just consider it to be like a big part of myself. Just so, exists. <laughs> like, there's, there's that. But I, I love science fiction. If it's done well, it doesn't matter what genre it is. It doesn't matter who wrote it. It doesn't matter what it's about. I, I'll probably love it. Like, no matter what it is. Um, my, I'm currently in the process of um, reading through uh, Rendezvous with Rama again, which was a story by Arthur C. Clarke. And it's very similar in a lot of ways to Tantalus Steps. And that's one of the actually reasons why I was reading it, because I wanted to make sure I wasn't ripping it off too much. <laughs> right. Like, you didn't even think that. about it, because you're just not familiar with the story. It, like, made its way into your writing. Yeah. Yeah. Like, there's there's a lot of that in there. And I hadn't even actually read Rendezvous with Rama when I first started writing Tantalus Steps. But my dad suggested it when I told him about it, because he was like, there's similar stuff in there. Yeah. It's a really good story. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with that for now. Okay. <laughs> Arthur C. Clarke. Awesome. <laughs> Great. Well, okay, let's see. Where can everybody find you? Everybody can find me on inkshares.com slash books slash Tantalus Steps. And I'm on Facebook as well. There's Tantalus Steps has a page on Facebook. Um, there's a YouTube channel for it. Uh, there's I've tried almost everything, but I'm most active on inkshares and Facebook. Yeah, those are those seem to be the two big ones right now. So I will have links to uh, Evan's campaign on InkShares and to the Facebook page at the very least, probably the YouTube channel as well, um, on the Geek Embassy. So you can check us out there. 
um, go order. Um, if you ordered my book and you didn't use your $5 credit, you'll have a $5 credit you can use toward Evan's book. <laughs> so worth $5. So worth $5. I have, I have no doubt. Um, and you'll start getting those updates that I was talking about with the graphics and the details of the characters, uh, which have been a delightful addition to his campaign into the book. So make sure to, um, to order up. And thank you for joining us, Evan. It's been a pleasure. And yeah. I wish you the best of luck. I'm, I'm rooting for you. <laughs> and uh, thank you for all your support for Mothering the Game. Uh, it's been great. Your help has been, uh, I, I don't know where I would have been without your help through the campaign and your advice as I was going My through. My pleasure. So thank you so much. You're going to get there too. <laughs> yeah. I know it is. Yeah, I have. Uh, I have a. Uh, 20 some odd days left in my campaign. So if you have not ordered Mothering the Game, please go and order that too. And I'll have the links to that on uh, the Geek Embassy as well. So thanks for listening. And until next time, get your geek on. <laughs>